Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we have the pleasure to take a look at the readings for the third Sunday after the Epiphany. If you would like to listen to the readings, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that has dropped previous to this one. This is Jesus going home, Mm -hmm. and according to Vicar giving his first sermon at home at Nazareth, and then receiving the warm welcome of people who want to kill him. Yes, that, that is the ideal for every, every seminarian and pastor who goes home to preach at their home congregation. That is certainly the welcome that they want. So if you go home and they don't want to kill you, you're not doing it right. Yeah, it wasn't a good sermon. Okay. Like yeah, that. something like that. Well, there's a lot to that, though. So Jesus comes to came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read, and we hear that he read from the prophet Isaiah, and these are very telling words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recover recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in my mind's eye, I see him looking out of the crowd, rolling the scroll up, and says, that's me. <laughs> Uh, he, he, in fact, says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Then he drops the mic and walks out. Mm-hmm. I like that. So we have a, just kind of setting the the scene here, we kind of have the idea that there were a lot of people in the synagogue because we were kind of joking about it earlier, but we get the sense that there's been a lot of um, talk about Jesus uh, because he's been uh, been preaching and healing Mm -hmm. and doing all these things uh, in Capernaum. And now he's coming home to Nazareth. And so he's kind of have, he has this reputation that has built around him. So there's kind of a lot of uh, buzz, a lot of excitement that this great uh, now teacher who grew up in Nazareth, Mm -hmm. uh, this healer who's been doing these miracles has now come home. And that kind of uh, should give you a sense of the anticipation that everyone's kind of sitting there in the synagogue with as he rolls up the scroll Mm -hmm. uh, of Isaiah and sits down to deliver his little sermon here, his homily. Well, and again, it's really interesting because he reads this and sits down and all the eyes were fixed on him. That's an impressive statement. It doesn't mean that he was a dramatic reader and everybody was awed at his ability to read. I really think that they made this connection that he brought authority Mm -hmm. to the scriptures. So they all look at him, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and all spoke well of him. Yeah, that's our guy. We like him. But then he says something, and he starts receiving a little attention, not good attention. A little bit of pushback. Yes, and they ask a question. 
aren't you Joseph's son? Mm-hmm. This is not a good question. This isn't a um, trying to put him in place, uh, trying to make connections. This is a belittling question. Mm-hmm. Why would they feel the need to belittle Jesus after, in one verse, they speak well of him, and then it's, hey, aren't you the carpenter's son? Yeah, so uh, kind of nerding out on the Greek here for a minute, <laughs> which I don't do often, but in this one, I, f- I found it interesting. That word not that we have in English there in verse 22, in the Greek, that's that's kind of a strengthened uh, negative. It, it's kind of an, an emphatic not or negative. Uh, so we get the sense here, and with that comes, uh, there's an implied affirmative response to the right. question being asked. So this question is not this Joseph's son. Uh, the answer to that question that comes with the question is yes. Okay. So they're kind of, like you said, kind of belittling, uh, wait a minute, isn't this the guy, the kid we watched grow up down right, the street, yeah. and now he's claiming to be the Messiah? Something isn't adding up here. And there's kind of a sense here, um, as we're, we're painting it, that they were willing to, uh, to see Jesus and acknowledge him as this prophet, mm-hmm. uh, a teacher, even someone who could perform miracles, but they're not willing to go a step beyond that and say, yeah, he's the Messiah, as he's claiming uh, right here in his, in his short sermon. I, I think there's a lot to that, and I find it fascinating. Again, they speak well of him, but then when it's the fulfillment, it's this text is actually talking about me. The very Spirit of God is upon me for you. And and I like how you kind of painted that picture. Nazareth has a prophet. Nazareth has this guy who can heal people. Nazareth, Nazareth has a prophet. These are all great things. Everybody's with him. Everybody, yeah, he's one of us. That's that's someone that they would uh, they would be proud to claim, right? Yeah. So it's our hometown guy. But then Jesus says, "Yes, I am, and I'm more." And right there, everybody's like, "Nope, we can't follow you anymore." That much, and I, I find this fascinating because you have to remember. Everybody's waiting for the Messiah. They've been promised and promised and promised. This is what they hear in the synagogue. This is what they hear in the temple. This is what they're supposed to be studying. They're supposed to be looking for the Messiah. And then the Messiah shows up and says, in your hearing, Mm -hmm. this is fulfilled. And their immediate response is, nah, (laughs) we know you. You can't be the Messiah. Right. And I, I think this just kind of occurred to me as you were talking, as he's reading Isaiah, uh, obviously a messianic test here, yeah. text, um, they're probably waiting for him to say something about the Messiah that is to come. Right. Um, so they're they're probably waiting for some, some more information, maybe a, a clue or a tip mm-hmm. as to who this Messiah is going to be. And then he kind of throws them for a loop when he yeah. says... It's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's kind of like they're sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for what's to come, and then they don't like his his response to that. Well, I, I don't want to throw the crowd under the bus too far. There, there's plenty of blame to go around. The idea that uh, we are expecting, waiting with antes- anticipation for Jesus' return. What if you were told he showed up? I think I would be very suspicious. Mm-hmm. Who showed up? 
when did he show up? And especially, let's just say that Jesus shows up at a holy cross and says, I have come and I have returned. I'm pretty sure I would say you. It's one of those uh, trust but verify. Yeah, You want to get a little more information on that before you come to a conclusion. Um, but that, that's kind of, it's almost the sense of uh, what, what he's preaching may be a little too good to be true yeah. kind of a thing. And I, I think there's a lot to that also. And again, they're, they're not willing to go that extra step that the Messiah is actually here, the one who has come to. And I'm pretty sure they understood exactly what Jesus is saying. And they reject him. And I, I think this is just huge because, again, it seems one second they're all on board. And the very next second, nope, we're not following you. We can't follow you. You're not actually one of us. And, and Jesus, not to provoke the crowd, not to anger them, not to f- put gasoline on the fire that's brewing, he makes this statement. He basically says, I'm the Messiah, and you're going to reject me. Mm-hmm. Let me prove it. And he goes and gives examples from the, the Old Testament. Um he just simply says that, uh, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zephyrah. And then Elisha was also uh, given the ability to heal but he healed a Cyrene, uh, Naaman, even though that there were plenty of lepers in Israel. And again, we see that Jesus, God's work, is done outside of his people. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for this. And it's really sad. It's because it's rejected. It's not believed. It's uh, not seen for what it is. And I don't have an immediate answer as to why? Except that from the Old Testament and even um, the opening verses of the Gospel of St. John, the Word becomes flesh and goes to his own, and his own do not receive him. We see this again and again and again, and we have proof right here that Jesus shows up and says, I've come to liberate you from sin, death, and hell. And their response is, you? <laughs> And then you, I mean, you can understand why, uh, you know, in a sense, why they get a little angry with him because, like you're saying here, uh, he's really saying, uh, I've come for God's people, but God's people, you, are rejecting me. You're not going to want what I've come here to do. Uh, so in a sense, it's kind of like uh, if nobody is faithful here, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Right. Uh, so it's really kind of insulting, but that's the law that Jesus dishes out uh, in this event because he gives them the gospel that he has come to fulfill the word of God once and for all, uh, and they don't really want to hear that. Yeah, and, and again, that just blows me away. And it's very unfair on, on my side because not only have I read the, the full scriptures, I you know I get to see this hindsight. How did you miss Jesus there? How did you miss the one promise? Of course, that's easy to say. But I really like the idea and trying to put myself in this situation. You have this guy that you know, 
and then he shows up and he's better than you. He has more money than you. He has more whatever. And on top of that, he's nice about it. And he still knows all the shared memories. He still is a participant in the daily life that you know, but he's different. And by nature, we we don't like different things. Mm -hmm. And we to do that, we have to 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 push it far. We really destroy what is different. We we try to control. And I, I want to make the conjecture that they're one of the reasons these people do not like what Jesus is bringing and saying. They no longer have control over him. And this isn't a, you're going to do what we want or anything. They can no longer see themselves in connection to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's no longer that good old boy, uh, good um, hometown hero. He just said, yes, I am, but I'm so much more. Mm-hmm. And now he's this haughty, arrogant, you can't do that. And I almost wonder if there's a, if there's not the sense that, um, <laughs> you know, someone cl- comes and claims to be the Messiah. And if they're not, now you're kind of uh, putting a, uh, you're dragging the whole town yeah. down with you uh, because now they're going to be known as, oh, uh, Nazareth. That's where that false Messiah came from. So there's almost kind of a, a self-defense um, aspect to it possibly going on. No, they, they don't want to associate with someone who's stepping out and claiming to be the Messiah. I think there might be a lot to that because you, you don't want to be those people. Right. Um, you don't want to be that group. And, and, and as we were talking before we pushed um, record, the whole idea that we, we want to go along with the crowd. And this is something that um, total... Uh, conjecture on my part. I don't think the whole crowd suddenly just like a light switch turns against Jesus. I'm sure that there's people in this group, is this the Messiah? Mm-hmm. Could this really be true? But I, I think the people who are opposed to Jesus being the one to come, of course, are the loudest, of course, are the ones that are uh creating this mob scene, so to speak, because they actually chase him out of the synagogue. And they they chase him to, or they push him to um, the edge of town, to the brow of a hill on which their town is built so that they could throw him off the cliff. Mm-hmm. What a great welcome home party this is. Well, you know what? I've uh, I've preached a couple times here and, and some of our uh, catechumen seventh and eighth graders have turned in their sermon notes, <laughs> and it's kind of a hit to the ego when you see, when you see them miss the mark on the the law and what was the law and the gospel, and you go, okay, I need to preach a little clearer next time. But I mean, can you imagine you deliver your sermon and then you get driven out of town and you're on the edge of a cliff yeah. with a crowd that's trying to push you off? That, that's that's quite the um, response to what he said. Yeah, and with that, again, I'm curious how hard they pushed, you know, and the idea of this immediacy, and I can't get over that, how quickly this escalates. And, uh, of course, we hear that they take him all the way to the, cl- the edge of the cliff, and then he walks through them. So a lot of uh, ideas have floated around, have been floated about this. Did he do yet another miracle to rescue himself? Because this is not the hour. This is not the way that he is going to die. We know that. 
but does he just blind everybody and walk through them? Does he um, shut their mouths and then, you know, with his divine power and walk through them? I even heard that he turns invisible. Uh, well, you know, I just uh, I, I just finished watching the Lord of the Rings movies <laughs> or rewatching, and I like when they when they put the ring on, yeah. they they vanish and become invisible. So maybe it was one of those. He had a special ring. Yeah, maybe. So was it a miracle? What do you think, Vicar? Um, I, I like to think that it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, but that's just my take. I, I, I kind of picture it as um, that anytime there's a crowd, a mob of any sorts, um, sometimes there's a little disorganization. Things aren't really clear of what's mm-hmm. being done. And I, I kind of picture the crowd maybe even arguing amongst themselves what they're going to do with him. And while they're all kind of fussing with each other. He just, yeah, I'm done. I'm done here. I'm going to leave and walks out. That's my take. But yeah. I, again, we're, we're kind of speculating, but that's how I'd like to picture it. Yeah. I, I kind of go along the same way. Like, uh, Jesus actually just doesn't put up with it. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't um, fight back or anything, but they, they, they're pushing him in the sense that you have this great crowd and they're walking against him. And he doesn't put up any opposition, and he doesn't run away. But when there's no room to go, he just stops. And then, I, I don't know, maybe it's with the same authority in which they, the crowd saw in the reading. He turns and focuses that on them to the point where they realize, yeah, we're not actually going to go through with this. Mm-hmm. And then he just walks through them. And it's like, you know, they don't know what to do. Um, you know, this is Joseph's son. We do know it. Are we going to really kill him? Right. Yeah, we showed him. We could have done, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Was it a message? But this is just a, a very interesting text on so many levels because we do have the rejection of Jesus. The very people who intimately knew him, they reject him. Uh, it's almost as if uh, Jesus jumps the shark by claiming he's the Messiah. It's too good to be true. I, I like that statement you brought up. And we still deal with this. So, Vicar, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. Okay. How do we apply this, especially with the, the rejection aspect? I don't have Jesus physically coming to me and preaching a sermon because me— if Jesus came to preach to me, of course I would accept it. I would take great copious notes and say, yes, Lord, thank you for coming, Lord. <laughs> How do we apply this to today? Because this, we still continue in our sinful nature to reject Jesus. And that's an easy, low-hanging fruit aspect, but... How do we apply this to, to the church and what we do? Um, one of the things that I, I think we can bring from this text is um, the idea that, uh, I, I mean, we have all, uh, we're all baptized Christians. That's mm-hmm. why we're here in church. We're listening to the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, all that good stuff. Uh, but there are still times where we um, reject Jesus in the sense of neglecting to share the gospel with our mm. neighbors, our coworkers, what have you. Uh, when people are gossiping, we don't pipe up and say, hey, you know, and put the best construction on things, uh, but maybe join in or just let it go. And I think those are the little rejections that on the, the day-to-day level, the practical um, applications of a text like this, we can really focus on um, because those are the times where we, when we fail to share the gospel, uh, yeah. when we get too timid to share the gospel because we're afraid of being rejected um, with our peers, socially, what have you, uh, because we all know, I mean, 
the gospel message yeah. is is not really taken too kindly mm-hmm. by our culture, um, and, and you see that all over the place. But here we have this idea of not shying away from the truth that is the word of God. Um, and without trying to make a direct comparison, we see Jesus do that. I mean, he he, he gives a very distinct uh, message here to the to the crowd in Nazareth, um, but it's true. And with that truth comes uh, a little rejection. And I think for us, we, we can learn from that and not be timid, not shy away from the chances that we have to share the gospel. So what I hear is we should not be afraid of rejection and boldly proclaim Christ and Christ crucified to anybody and everybody. Yes. Okay. I'm all for that. And Easier said than done, I know. Oh, but. absolutely. No, I, I but I like that. And because um, one of the ways that I would like to go with application is that Jesus actually does lead the way into opposition, showing I've been rejected even by my very people. So will you? Mm-hmm. And and I think we play we see that play out with you know martyrs throughout history, um, who who weren't afraid to um, to proclaim their faith even when they knew uh, the rejection that they were facing. Uh, ultimately, that was going to take their life. So, well, let me let me put you further on the spot. <laughs> All right. How does this reveal who Jesus is as the Messiah, especially in the season of Epiphany? So, with this, uh, we have um, Jesus really. Uh, really for the first time in his hometown, announcing who he truly is, but then really saying uh, that what he is and is there to do is an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Uh, and so we have this, uh, the the kingdom of God breaking into present time uh, for these people here, and it continues for us today, where we have uh, the kingdom of God living, uh, being experienced here and now by us, but we also await the full kingdom where things will be fully restored. So we get to live in that uh, that idea, that good Lutheran idea of the now and the not yet, mm-hmm. um, being uh, the kingdom of God has begun with Jesus in his earthly ministry, um, and we get to see that full uh fulfillment of that when he returns again. I, I really like that, and especially with the, the revelation of Christ coming as the Messiah. And, and to kind of just piggyback, that continued fulfillment is still being preached. The words that Jesus says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We get to say that even today because that promise has been fulfilled and continues to come as if God himself is saying it to you. So with all excitement, don't reject the gospel. With all boldness, live in that gospel because you are liberated and you who were once oppressed by sin, death, and hell have had the words of Christ spoken, revealing Christ crucified for your salvation to be lived out in all that you do. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.